Welcome to the Conduit Deeper Podcast, a podcast that takes a deep dive into the details that surround our current sermon series. From current events to fascinating finds to conversations that take us deeper into the Word. Thanks for joining us. Welcome to our Deeper Podcast. My name is Mo, campus pastor at Conduit Church, Franklin, Tennessee, joined by our lead pastor, Darren Tyler. And on the drive-in today, we have a gas station that's about two miles up the road. And it had flipped to four twenty-nine a gallon. Is that the one? Wait, where's Shell you, Station. Shell Station, okay. Just up the road here. Yeah. So those are Franklin prices? <laughs> they are Franklin prices. In the, I guess the interesting thing is I could, I could turn south uh-huh. two miles the other direction, and it'd be every bit of... 40 cents cheaper. Yeah. It, but it's not on my way home. However, that may be worth the extra couple of miles, four mile round trip to get 40 cents cheaper gas just up the road. I used to make fun of my father. So I was raised on the Kansas Nebraska line. Okay. And gas in Kansas was cheaper than Nebraska. Interesting. Um, and the main reason is taxes. I mean, when you look at it, the, ga- okay. the price of gas. It's, it's a lot of fun for a politician to blame a foreign war leader, whatever, uh, and then forget that a, a large percentage of the price at the pump actually is, is taxes. Yes. So that's why Franklin prices are always going to be higher than Spring Hill. Considerably uh, more. Yeah. And it's why I still get my gas at Glenn's Grocery out in College, uh, Grove. College Grove, man. Um, <laughs> by a guy named VJ, uh, but it's called Glenn's Grocery for whatever, but... Uh, but now you're right. Like when it's like forty cents a gallon difference, it's like man, that, that's like four bucks. That might be worth it. Well, yesterday on the drive home, it was four oh nine. When I'm sitting at the stoplight, and I'm just, you know I look over to the right, it's like it's four oh nine. I'm like, oh, there it is. It flipped four bucks. And then on the drive in this morning, four twenty nine. So twenty cents overnight. Overnight, wow. So that was a little discouraging. And then it reminded me of uh, my first car. What was your first car? <laughs> Yeah, let's have this conversation. Let me guess. Okay, let me go. You'll never guess. Well, because you're in Dayton. Dayton, Ohio. Okay, so we're like Steel Belt. Yeah. It's got to be American-made. Of course. Yeah. Uh, You guys aren't like Ford people, because that's like, those are like rich people cars. Was it a... (laughs) Fords are rich people. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm from farm... Rich farmers had Fords, man. Which my dad said... Uh, it was because he resented rich people. He found on road daily or something like that was his. Uh, you got to remember the, the, the major uh, vehicle auto plant in Dayton was General Motors. Yeah, yeah, GM, right? GM yeah. plant. So yeah, yeah. everybody was driving Chevys. Did you get a Saturn? I had a Chevy I Chevette. So, I was so close. A Chevette scooter, four door. Do you remember the Chevettes? I do. <laughs> I had one of those. <laughs> Chevette, dude. 1983 Chevette scooter, four-door. Cloth interior? Cloth interior. Did it? Did the, the thing at the top drip dra- 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 down any little bit? Fall start down to fall down a little bit? Absolutely yeah, yeah. did. <laughs> You're taking me back to my childhood. Uh, I mean, it was, it, it was an incredible first car. And okay, then I was really excited when uh, Audio Adrenaline came out with their record. Um I guess it would have been the zombie record. And track one was, I think it was track one, was Chevette. They wrote a song about it. I felt so cool. And do you remember the tour? 
Yes, and they had an actual car. I booked that tour, man. Uh, that thing on stage, like it would. Okay, in my memory, it came out of the ceiling, but I'm 100 percent sure that didn't happen. No, they lowered. Yeah, they lowered it. Did down. they? Mm-hmm. See, that's one of those moments of like the older I get, the more vividly I remember things that didn't happen. But that actually did happen. Yes. I just remember sitting in the meeting at the end of that tour with, um, I don't remember, actually, maybe it wasn't Mark, I don't remember. Might have been Mark and Will, but man, we, we, golly, how do how do we have so little money after the end of this tour? <laughs> and I think it might have been Charles Doris going, well, let me tell you why. Look up here in these lights and this thing, like, there's all your money right there. It's Production all sitting up in this. Lowering a Chevette down yeah. onto the stage. Well, I remember filling it up for 89 cents a gallon. Mm. In Beaver Creek, Ohio. What year was that? That would have been that would have been 1998. Yeah, Oklahoma has always had cheap gas, and that was about what I remember too. In fact, at one point, it dipped down to 89 cents a gallon in right. Oklahoma. Yeah, that's like cheaper than water. Can you imagine? Well, I, I can't uh, because uh, so we because our kid, my son, is at a uh, private school now. He's driving his own car. Driving his own car, and it's like 30 minutes away. And I, I kind of have to, you know, uh, say that this is a little bit of Jenny's fault. My wife. Uh, yeah, a little bit. Oh, no. Uh, because this car uh, requires premium gas. Requires? Yeah. Wow. And uh, if you remember, uh, w- when we were shopping for a car for Ethan, this was like in the middle of nowhere, Kentucky, so your wife like took charge right. of this process, <laughs> like Megan Fox, man. She's driving up there and d- figuring out all the mechanical she stuff. She loves that stuff. And, and by the way, she made a, it was a great call. And mechanically, it has been very, very sound. Financially. Uh, financially. Premium gas. I'm like, and so, you know, and my son will go all the way to, um, he goes to Sam's to buy his gas, but he's doing it like twice a week right now. Oh, no. Because uh, it takes a lot of gas to rev that little engine up. With it, so I'm ready for those prices to be done. I, I don't think it's going to happen in the near future. It's not going to drop and, in the near future. And I don't know if there's a way to turn his into an electric car uh, or not. I but, think I think four dollars a gallon is going to uh, look like a really good deal by the end of summer. I hate to be that guy, but that's just a little bit of a heads up. Well, if anybody wants to come start drilling for gas oil on the property at Conduit, we'll <laughs> work out a deal. Yeah, bring your shovel, man. <laughs> well, this week we uh, we dove into, you dove into Romans chapter 13, mm-hmm. and which is a very popular chapter, um, <laughs> talking about government authority and how we should respond, um, which is always fun to preach, to teach to a, a large group of people that have multiple or differing opinions about exactly how that passage should be rendered. Yeah. Um, I felt like you did a really good job of bringing some clarity to it. I appreciate that. Nobody stormed out, so that's... There was no visible, uh, you know, uh, disagreement. Yeah. Yeah, because, you know, a chapter like that, it's like... I come in a chapter like that, and I'm actually trying to pull myself back because, you know, where I'm from... You know, white trash people, we're we're just hillbillies without the romance. We're ready for a fight. <laughs> hillbillies without the romance. Do you know what I mean? Well, because it's kind of romantic to say you're a hillbilly these days, but white trash, we got no credit, man. We're, you know, um, oh, but we uh, we were ready to fight at all costs. I mean, you know, Oregon Trail people. That's right. So for us, there's a you read Romans 13, and I, I need to read it with a little more sense of of not looking for an excuse to pick a fight. True. Right. But then there's a whole other group of folks that that read that 
and forget to let the Bible interpret the Bible. Yes. Um, you know, the, one of the greatest examples of that is that people who turned the, the the people who turned in Anne Frank during the Holocaust were following a government mandate. So did Romans did Paul mean that? And of course the answer is no, right? But you can't just say of course without going to the Bible because the Bible interprets the Bible. And one of the things that I did bring out were the myriad, uh, and by the way, did not even come close to giving a comprehensive list of examples in Scripture of men and women who violated government mandates uh, and were fully uh, authorized and ordained and blessed by God to do so. Um, yeah, you had a big list. Yeah. I mean, everybody from, I mean, the, 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 the women with Moses, right, had they have followed the government mandates, Moses would have been dead and nothing would have happened had the, the, the wise men have not reported um, to Mary and Joseph what was happening, Jesus would have been killed. There's little, I mean, you don't have to even think that hard right, true. to get there. So the question is, what is the, what's Paul talking about? Like, what's the difference? Like, what, what, what government mandates do we resist and which ones do we obey? Um, and to me, that's been the entire crux of the last two years is a misunderstanding of, you know, in the words of Kenny Rogers, the great poet, knowing when to hold them, knowing when to fold them, when to walk away, when to run. Um, and so obviously there were a good many churches that immediately, uh, and, and I don't blame a single church that, that immediately, uh, because there was a lot of information we didn't have. But there was a moment where churches, uh, we needed to make a decision. Um, yeah. and, and so the difference is really simple. It's actually not complicated at all. If you just read this, if you read what he wrote, he doesn't say the lawbreaker, illegal. He says wrongdoer. And that's because the question of right and wrong and the question of legal and illegal are two separate categories. There are things that are in every nation in history including our own, things that are 100% legal, that are 100% morally wrong, uh, and the other way around, things that are illegal, that are 100% morally right. And so the difference is when God's law comes up against man's law, God's law wins. Doesn't mean there won't be suffering. Doesn't mean that the government that the, of, of this earth, the kingdoms of this world, they're not, you know, they're not designed um, for the long term of, of God's kingdom. So there are things that are, you know, we're going to experience, we already have experienced in our world um, that we have to make a decision. This is legal here, but it's actually wrong. So we can't participate. And this is illegal here, but we're still going to. I think that was a really good distinction, a very clear distinction that was made um, Illegal versus illegal, immoral versus moral. Yeah. Right versus wrong. I, th I think that brings a lot of clarity to how we make decisions. One of the obvious cases that you point out is just the legalized abortion. Right. And how that's clearly immoral. Yeah. For how many years now? 73. Uh, and the, and the, it goes up by the millions every year of children who have been killed in their mother's wombs, um, celebrated, 100% legal. 
And interesting, you know, we have a, a lady in our church, I, I won't share her name because um, she's told her story openly, but I, just, I didn't ask for her permission. But, you know, in the 70s, when she made the decision to have an abortion, in her thinking was, well, it's legal, so it must be okay. You know, right. And who could blame her for that? Like you know, at that age, you know, that scared and that, you know, and she's lived, uh, regretted it almost probably every day of her life. Um, but the uh, 100% legal doctors legally doing this uh, and until the laws of the land change, they will uh, continue to. Um, I might add, before we get too far into the legal versus illegal, there's one other category that is worth talking about, which is when the local authority is getting it wrong. There's a clear law on the books, but this local authority or national, whatever authority, is enforcing something that is not legal, which is a whole other category. And that is what happened at Paul in the book of Acts chapter 22. Um, he was arrested, and they took him in, the, uh, the centurions, whatever, took him in, and they're getting ready to flog him. And he says, no, 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 I'm a Roman citizen. Without a trial, you can't do this to me. And so they stopped. Um, now, Paul wasn't disobeying the government. He was just saying, you're getting this one wrong. And they were, by the way. The, the guy was like, oh, yeah, if he's a Roman citizen, we can't do this. That's true. We had that happen at a, at a church, our church. Yeah. In 2000... Um, 10, early 2010, when we were getting ready to launch as a church. Um, had you guys moved here by January of 2010? You had not even March moved. March of 2010. Yeah, so you hadn't even moved to town yet. Two so, months later. Two months later, yeah. So by February, we didn't know where we wanted, we were going to meet. And there was one school that we really, really wanted, which was Independence High School. If you're not local to Nashville, you don't know this, but this is, it was a brand new school. It's right in the middle of everywhere. It's a great location. Yeah. But every church planter in town knew that that church didn't allow schools. That's, that school did that not allow churches. That school did not allow churches. Uh, it was like a known thing amongst the uh, pastors and church planters. Untouchable. Yeah, you can't, can't do it. And so, you know, I'm naive enough to, uh, well, maybe they'll, maybe they'll be different this time. So I emailed the principal. And I got, uh, after several emails, he finally responded. And just, it was a very simple... Uh, I'm sorry, I think your church will probably be really great for our community, but we don't uh, allow churches to meet in, in, in Independence High School, uh, sincerely, principal's name. And so I was like, oh, doggone it. Um, and we had no other options, really, that weren't going to cost us an enormous amount of money or going way out in the woods, whatever. But long story shorter, uh, I'm really self-conscious about name dropping these days, so I'm trying not to, but I feel like it's important to say his name um, because I think I think people don't know the amount of good that he does, which is Jay Seculo. Um, we were having dinner at this little Mexican restaurant in Franklin. Um, I'm trying to think how to explain. It's like where uh, that little uh, the little grocery store, Highway 96. It's actually fascinating because it's not that nice of a Mexican restaurant, <laughs> but it was like it's Jay and I don't know if it still is, but it was Jay and Pam's like favorite restaurant, which I'm like, really, you guys. This place is kind of a dive. But we were having dinner, and I, he was like, hey, where are we going to be meeting as a church? And it was the first time I realized Jay and Pam were going to be a part of the church in the early days. And and, uh, and I said out loud, um, well, I want to do Independence High School, but they don't let churches meet in there, so we'll, I don't know what we're going to do. And, um, and he, like a hunting dog man, came to attention, and it was literally the first time I realized 
that's the guy that won the Supreme Court case that allows churches to meet in schools. So I'd love to take credit and say that I was smart and I was on the ball and that's why we're in there because I was so smart. But I was like, and then Jay's like, he didn't want to talk about anything else. We were talking about Haiti. Now he wants to talk about that. <laughs> uh, and he was, here's what he told me. He said, you can't let a local official decide what laws they will and will not obey when it comes to your Christianity and to your freedom. And this is, the, the, Darren, this was a nine to zero victory. There's no wiggle room on this. Wow. And he was right. We, um, uh, one of his attorneys named Carly wrote uh, the letter. They sent it in and we moved into Independence High School six weeks later, <laughs> April 10th. Promptly changed the whole game plan. Yeah. And it was, a, it was an answer to prayer for our church, for sure. But the question was, should we have just let that guy do that. And by the way, a lot of my pastor friends were not that excited that I did that. They were afraid it was going to rock the boat. They were afraid that it was going to make the county mad and the schools and it's going to ruin it for the rest of us is what one of them said. I don't want you to ruin it for the rest of them, you know? Oh, wow. And, uh, and I was young enough, uh, like, I was like, wait, this is actually, I thought this was a good thing. Yeah. Uh, and, and I do, by the way, I think it's a good thing. Um, Jay stood in the back that, that morning, uh, Easter Sunday, 2010. Which we were there for. Took a photo with his Blackberry. And mailed it to the pastor, or texted it. Could you text from a Blackberry back then? Yeah, you could text it. <laughs> to the pastor in New York that was the original pastor, Lamb's Chapel versus New York. Wow. That won that case to say, look, here it is, man, however many years later. In action. Still paying off 20 years later with it. So th- that is a category where there are, there are laws, and that's what happened when churches in California, uh, other states told the government, you don't have the right to do this. That's why our governor was so smart. He was, uh, he, he didn't, A, he's a Christian man, but he knew that that was actually an illegal action to say that churches had to shut down, but other, or like clubs and whatever could stay open, bars. Uh, but when, so when churches sued them, um, they won over and over and over again. So the good taxpayers of many cities in California have had to pay for the, the incompetence of their government for enforcing a law that they couldn't enforce. So so that is a category that's worth talking about and it's not a bad thing and there are law there are legal firms out there everywhere that are fighting for when the government gets it wrong and that is 100% a, a biblically supported idea. One of the articles you passed along this week also um, br- brings to light what's happening with um, Department of Child Services, DCS? Yeah. Um, and the authority in which they have that folks may not be aware of. Yeah, this is, um, so it's funny, this actually goes back to, this is probably a, a mix between a local authorities maybe getting it wrong uh, because it has not really made it through the court systems yet. Mm. But at the same time, they might have it right. This might actually be loopholes in these laws, but the laws is, uh, what, what I'm talking about is, um, that uh, a young and there was uh, there's actually multiple. It's a Christian Post article. There's this is something you can find readily on uh, on YouTube. But uh, they were specifically talking about um, one of the, the people was a, a woman whose son uh, at a very young age was saying that he felt confused um, about whether he was a boy or a girl. And, uh, and actually, let me just read it so I don't get this wrong. So it's uh, her name, the last name is Martinez, who has lived in California since she was 18. When her family left El Salvador for opportunities in the U.S., 
recounted how LGBT activists at her daughter's school, the medical establishment, and social services undermined her at every turn. So I was wrong. It was a daughter that felt confused about whether she was a male. Okay. So I'm glad I'm reading this. All of these systems, she said, worked against her to try, uh, as she tried to help her daughter overcome her mental distress. Choking back tears, and this video is on YouTube. It's, uh, I literally just wrecked me. Uh, described how her daughter, Jaylee, started struggling with depression in the 7th and 8th grades. Schoolmates had been bullying her and telling her she was ugly. When her daughter told her that she felt like she was a boy, the school counselor was involved. DCFS was involved. LGBT was in there too, trying to help the transition of my daughter, she said. Martina said she was accused of not opening her eyes and not knowing that her daughter has always been male, but she knew that wasn't true because her daughter has always been a girly girl, very artistic, and would like to dress up as a princess. The school principal made things worse, she said. School officials told social services that her daughter would be better off out of the house. Wow. Her daughter was removed from her custody when she was 16 and was summarily placed in the state foster care system. Her daughter then started going by the name Andrew. I tried my best to get her back, going to court every single month. I never missed a court date because I wanted my daughter back, she said. And when I went to court, I asked the judge to please let my daughter have a psych evaluation, she continued. But since her daughter's social worker said she needed to be affirmed as transgender, the judge denied Martinez's request. What hurt me the most was that I told they I was told not to talk about God. Talking about God, a social worker warned her, was going to make him feel uncomfortable, she said, and the social worker referred to her daughter as male because he's in danger of committing suicide. Martinez's voice's uh, voice faltered as she recalled how heartbreak she felt uh, the heartbreak she felt hearing her daughter's voice changing due to the effects of testosterone. In September of 2019, her daughter took her own life by standing on railroad tracks when an oncoming train struck and killed her. Martinez learned that her daughter's body had been severed due to the impact, leaving police to recover parts of her body shattered from the train tracks. Losing a child is so painful it hurts to breathe, she said in agony. I don't want this to happen to any other family, she said, wiping away tears from her eyes. Uh, and then she said this after the panel was over. Uh... Martina's daughter had been told that if parental custody was removed, the state would then pay for experimental transgender medical services, such as cross-sex hormones, which she later obtained at Children's Hospital Los Angeles, the location for one of the largest pediatric gender clinics in the country. So what happened to her, I, like, I'm, my blood is boiling. My Apple Watch is probably about to tell me that my heart rate is up. Yeah, mine too. Um, the, the government did that unbelievable so is is that something that we obey because the government says it's right or is that 100 percent morally wrong in the eyes of god and by the way in the eyes of humanity like that's not even a hard ask and the answer is 100 percent wrong 100 percent morally wrong um and so what paul when he talks about in romans 13 is that the, the government punishes the wrongdoers Right, uh, which is he talks about murdering. There, there are things that are clearly wrong um, and illegal, and the government steps in in those situations, and they are supposed to be the ones that stop crime and stop you know murdering. And but when they get it wrong themselves, when the government is the wrongdoer, uh, we do not submit to that. Um, we rise up against it. We, as far as our own 
church is concerned, there are laws right now that are just waiting like to be tested uh, in our country. In Canada, they, they are already uh, enforcing some of these against the teaching of traditional marriage. Uh, Finland is another country where a pastor is on trial for teaching traditional marriage. Uh, and he's on trial uh, as a hate, I think hate crime law is one of the laws they're using there. Uh, so, so it's going to be like we're in a world where just because it's um, right doesn't mean that uh, we aren't going to be punished for it. And we, I mean, Rod Dreher's book, Live Not By Lies, you know, he was interviewing some Eastern Bloc former uh, people that grew up under Soviet Union, which is pretty appropriate timing right now. Right. And one of them said one of the, his worries for America is that we're not willing to suffer for the truth. Um, there, it's going to be some suffering for those of us that are standing up. We, you know, the, what, what we went through in the last two years with people sending mean tweets and, you know, whatever, uh, like that's no fun. Um, but being willing to suffer for truth is something we have to ask ourselves, uh, are we ready to do? Or are we going to acquiesce to government wrongdoing in the name of Romans 13? Wow, that's a lot. <laughs> that story is just, it's so frustrating. Because there's multiple, there's multiple agencies there, right? I mean, you have public school, um, government-funded public school. You have DCS involved. So there's like layers even of... Well, well, and a medical arm of the government. And medical. You know, you've got a pediatric yeah. clinic who is doing experimental gender treatments with the full authorization and blessing of the government. Unbelievable. Tax so, dollars. Tax dollars. So if somebody is wondering why maybe I don't necessarily just jump when a, the CDC says it, I, I you yeah. know, it's, it, it wouldn't be the first time that they didn't get it right. Which... Yes, which brings me back to, you know, a couple of years ago when the the knee jerk is wear a mask and stay six feet apart. Like do that, like obey, comply. It's it's that initial um, foot in the door for compliance that you play that out like, OK, so what's next? Yeah. And then what's next? And then what's next? And, you know, there's been a lot of pushback on, oh, well. You know, it's it's love your neighbor. It's we have the best interest for you. But as you can see, that's not necessarily always true. It's like give them an inch, they take a mile. It, it yeah, it's giving them an inch and take a mile. And it's if you have a different gauge of morality of what's moral and immoral, who's defining it? Yeah, and they're defining it kind of on the fly here, but with yeah, authority, with authority to define it on the fly. And it's something that um, I've had a really hard time processing in just the last few months of like realizing how many of uh, evangelical leaders that I really admire and respect immediately embraced the government narrative without questioning it. And not only that, then gave their platforms to those narratives. Microphones. Stage time. Yeah. So, you know, I remember the first time I heard Andy Stanley say, uh, I'm embarrassed by churches that are open right now. It was like I wanted to drive to Atlanta and like have a <laughs> fist fight, which is, by the way, in a not in a good place in my heart, which is the rest of Romans 13. It's from love. Right. Right. Um, Prefaced by Romans 12. Yeah. 
You, you can't get to 13 without stopping in 12, you know, offer your life as a living sacrifice. And, and it, you know, and it's, if shame is what they're using as a weapon, um, it's what the enemy uses as a weapon, then we, but us using shame back is not helpful. Right. It's not from a good place in my heart. But I heard that and, and the, but I didn't realize later until later that there was a full-blown evangelical crusade uh, from the CDC, from NIH, to reach evangelical leaders like me. Uh, and so Francis Collins, who, by the way, has written some fascinating uh, books on apologetics. Yeah. And uh, and he's obviously was head of NIH, and he's uh, been just promoted to or something in the Biden administration yeah. now. But because he was respected amongst evangelicals, he's sitting, you know, on stage with guys like Dr. Russell Moore um, and saying things like that vaccines uh, mandates are good and laughing when people are going to lose their jobs. Like it, um, there was a, a piece that was recently released of some because it was a, a recording that was made that he, they didn't know this event was being recorded. Um, and uh, in the middle of this event, they're talking about. Uh, vaccine mandates and it's good if somebody loses their job because of this and they're and he's laughing about it and he's and and, and by the way Russell Moore is a brilliant thinker he's a brilliant mind um, but didn't speak up didn't say a word now I don't look I don't actually know when this was so maybe this is back when they still thought vaccine was gonna work for longer I still 100% sure dis- disagree with giving this guy the platform but here we are two years in and realizing that this this vaccine lasts two or three months, maybe. So it's experimental. We don't know. Uh, we have no idea what, any long-term effects to it. And anybody that says they do, it, it has to be lying because we haven't had it long-term. So you don't know. But more importantly, what we do know is that they were trying to, the people were literally losing their jobs for a vaccine that wasn't going to work after three months. And... Um, and this was like fully supported and given platform. And so far as I know, there's been no apologies made, no retractions of, wow, we, we got that one wrong. Um, all in the name of Romans 13 in loving your neighbors. They used Francis Collins as a Trojan horse into the evangel- evangelical community, uh, which is funny. It's been kind of tagged or termed Big Eva. Have you heard that? Yeah, like big farm. Everything's uh, got to have a big something, yeah. Big something. So big Eva yeah. is. The... I actually used to date big Eva. I know who that is. <laughs> That's kind of the phrase that that all of the 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 uh, the voices, the big voices of the evangelical community, lumped together into big Eva. Francis Collins was a bit of a Trojan horse that was strategically placed into that community to create relationship, trust, to then promote uh, ideas that aligned with the federal government, NIH, and the CDC. Purposeful, strategic, planned. Yeah, and that's not like uh, like conspiracy theory. It's actually, they didn't even hide it. Like, they actually no. said that's what we were doing. Yes. And, and we continue to do. But the, tr- the, the trickle down and the ripple effect from that has been irreversible in some ways. It feels like it, doesn't it? In some ways. But every 
a month that passes, thankfully right now, more and more light is being shown on these things, like this article that was put out about this this week, about Francis Collins. Tuesday, yeah. And uh, on the, the Daily Wire. Is it a Daily Wire article? It's a Daily Wire piece, yeah. It's, it's, if you can find it, I would encourage you to read it. Um, but it's shedding light on these things. And so to bring it back around, you know, it's it's okay to, to question some of the motives of our government officials and not walk lockstep right into compliance at every turn. It's okay to uh, shine a light, turn on a flashlight or a floodlight onto things before responding. Yeah. Well, because if it's morally wrong, um, if it's against God's laws, then what what should happen is that humanity is actually harmed when this God's law is violated. God didn't he's, he didn't create laws arbitrarily and capriciously. It's for our flourishing. The command for Christians to gather was not just to keep you away from the lake on Sunday. It's because we were literally created for relationship with each other. Like that in in the garden we were created, relationship with him and with each other. And by pulling that away and isolating people, like nobody, like this is not some, uh, it's not, it should not have been a surprise, but it is unquestionable that the emotional and mental health of our country has, it was already in trouble, but it has just been decimated because of these policies. And Johns Hopkins, the report that came out, I think last month, maybe the month before, showing that uh, that these policies didn't have had little to no effect at all. The social distancing, the masking, closing everything down had no effect or little effect at all. Certainly not enough effect to be worth the cost of what it did to our country. And by the way, that was common knowledge up until 2020. Like that was literally accepted wisdom that you don't shut down a country. You don't block people in their homes. It was accepted wisdom in the West, but in China, it was not. And and now we have two years of this great social experiment showing that it was an unmitigated disaster. And it's obviously was going to be because it was a violation of God's moral laws of like locking people away from each other, people dying alone, being kept from their families. Like the, 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 the harm that was done is immeasurable um, around the world with it. And so when we say we resisted that one, I mean, remember we were like, we had like a speakeasy school going on <laughs> in our church. Like when they shut down the schools, I'm like, oh no, no, no. So we like, we were burying the kids in Chick-fil-A, bring your, bring your laptops in and sit and like we had, uh, we were still in construction, but yeah, online school, the kids that were doing online school, um, you know, the schools were staying open quote unquote, but it was all <laughs> online. Yeah. And so we just had the kids come hang out here together so they could have some social interaction. Um, and, yeah, we fed them, and they had a place to, to gather. Yeah. We just w- wanted to give them w- what the world was not giving them, and by the way, cannot give them, which is hope. And inviting them in, especially if you've got moms that are working, you know, it's – I'll tell you, for, for sure, one of the things I, that's frustrated me uh, – I've been frustrated a lot lately, apparently. There's things to be frustrated about. I mean, we're allowed to be. Maybe I need to get back to Haiti. Uh, I, I started to notice a correlation of people that were sort of lecturing uh, Christians on not being political or, or not, you know, what, rocking the boat. 
and they're uh, so that and especially with Christians, and but they're ones that are private schooling their kids or they're homeschooling their kids, um, that which is a good thing. But if you can afford to do that, like a lot, well, most can't. Like the, the vast majority of people cannot afford to withdraw from a public school setting. So if you've got parents, you know, if, if, if I've got kids in public school, if you're like, you, you absolutely have a voice at the table and a voice at school board meetings. And thank God for men uh, and women who are godly men and women and those the teachers and, and, and on the school board making these decisions because we need them in there right now. And, uh, and for those that want to speak up and, you know, if you're at a, a local school board meeting in Williamson County, you know, conduct yourself in a manner that is Christ-like. But Christ-like doesn't mean silent. Um, it doesn't mean staying home. Um, if, if we've got ideologies that are eking into our system, it's okay to go and speak up about that stuff. I think we need to be reminded on a daily basis, maybe, maybe a weekly basis, often, that we're at war. We just are. We're at war. Uh, whether you know it or not, it looks a lot different when we say the word war. That looks a lot different. Uh, now, obviously, for what's happening in Russia and Ukraine, and it's terrible. It's demonic. Um, also happening here at home is an ideological warfare. But isn't it funny that you say that word, and most of the people that uh, are Romans 13-ing us would also say, they would make fun of you using the word war. Sure. Like, mocking you for that. Yeah. Yeah. But... But it's happening. I mean, you don't have to look around too far to see that there is a an ideological warfare, a cultural warfare that's happening um, for for our kids, especially towards our kids, especially. Um, and there's there's a lot for us to be um, frustrated about and to have an awareness of like these decisions that we've had to make over the past couple of years to me was kind of like stepping into the, the shallow end of the pool. Mm hmm. It's, it's going to get deeper. We've got some things coming towards us that we're going to have to make some decisions on. Yeah. Um, and how are we going to respond yeah. as they get harder? The decisions are going to get harder. Jordan Peterson, um, in an interview recently, and I'm probably going to butcher it, but was talking about how like a tyrant um, moves the line. Right. Like how do you? And he said, you know, and it's so true, right? You push it just as far until you can't take it anymore and then you take a couple steps back right yes right and then you wait for a while and then you push it again until you and uh and, and so that we if i was naive enough to think that this was just a um a whatever a short season for us yeah. you know i is as far as i can tell we have entered um a, a, another level of something in the in the world in general not yeah. just in our country and so this was a good warm-up. It was a good practice round for us. Yeah, that's a good way um, to put it. Because, you know, at some point, you know, um, activist groups, they definitely want to dismantle church in general. Mm -hmm. And uh, we have to, A, know what's right and wrong in the eyes of God morally, which is why the Word of God is so important. It's why we'll continue to teach because that, that is our plumb line. So that when a law comes that is against God's law, that we know that that's one that we resist, and we resist it in love, but not out of fear. And um, and that's the uh, the wow the hard the hard part for me is 
I, I get angry. Uh, I don't really like bullies real a whole lot. Sure. I just don't much care for them. And so, but I can't respond. If I'm responding out of that, and by the way, that's not anger, that's fear. Um, that's not going to be a healthy Christ-like reaction. There is a way to respond in love that doesn't include silence, but also in love that doesn't include violence. You, you know, there is a way to resist. And that rhymed. Somebody get T.D. Jakes. Jakes on the phone, man. That was the first tweetable thing I think I might have ever said. <laughs> um, but but it's going to require a courage that, um, I don't know if you, so you know Marshall Foster? Of course, uh, yes. His book, The American Covenant. Uh, one of the things he shares, I think it's in that book, uh, eight hunt, so there were 18,000 pastors in Germany as Hitler was coming to power. And he, and I remember this was, I've written, this is historically an accurate thing. He put out a covenant with the churches that, uh, to sign them. Uh, the, and, and this was a, you become a state sponsored. And by the way, in, in Germany to this day, unless something's changed in the last two years, uh, part of your taxes goes to fund, quote unquote, church, which by the way, makes people resent church. And it makes it, it's a, it's a fascinating thing that, that's carried over only 800 out of 18,000 pastors refused to sign that covenant with Hitler in 1937, I think. Um, probably should fact check the, the year of that, but the number is not, uh, you don't have to fact check it. 800 of them refused to sign. Wow. And, uh, and when you look at the, the, the decade of the 30s, he didn't, like Hitler didn't start with an oven and killing Jewish people. Uh, it didn't start there. It started with making Germany great again. It started with his version of nationalism and then pushing out, you know, at all costs. And uh, you know, so for us, w- figuring out what the line is, which is the scripture, and then holding to that line um, is going to be more important than ever. And it's going to be less popular than ever. Um, the idea that we have to be liked, I- I'm going to have to let that go. Yeah. Because, you know, <laughs> yes. um, I used to think uh, I was so dumb. They just didn't hear me right. If I just explained it better, then, they right. would, then they'd know. And then it took me a few years to realize, oh, no, they actually heard me the first time. They just didn't like it and then don't much care for me. And so uh, I, I have to get that um, out of my mind because morally right and legal. And, it, and I guess I look back on it and even like, we didn't sue Williamson County Schools. We just wrote a letter and said, "Hey, this is what Reminded this guy. Them. Yeah, this is what this guy did." And here's 20 pages of Supreme Court uh, history uh, saying, but most of which were won by Jay, um, of, of why this was true. And we moved in. So I wasn't doing that because I was angry at them. I was doing it because it was right. Yes. And um, and so what's right isn't always popular. And boy, if history's taught us anything, that's a true thing. Um, and, and in our own culture. Uh, we're going to have to be as awake as we've ever been, uh, which he says in there. Be aw- it's time for you to underst- understand the present time that you are in, the sort of the end of chapter 13, and be awake uh, so that you know what's going on. Live as if you're in the daytime, um, which I didn't really get into this much on the Sunday teaching, but he talked about the armor of light. It, it, uh, the, with the last verses, put on the armor of light. And it, I, I really pondered and prayed about that and and realized that armor of light, the Matthew 5, he actually talks about what light is, which is your good works. Let your good works shine 
they may glorify God is talking about let your light shine before men. Um, and the armor of light actually is, it's our love for our community, for our people that helps to reflect the evil uh, darts of the enemy. And by the way, and so the, the so he says specifically, don't behave as if you're in the dark. Be sober as if you're in the daytime. And what he's really, when you think about it in the daytime, what he means really is everybody's watching you. Yeah. Behave as if you, everybody's watching you. And for Christian leaders like us, Christians in general, um, your sins 100% forgiven. Grace covers them all. But live as if people are watching you because it, this stuff is costing us credibility. When a pastor, a leader is naughty and they have violated God's laws, um, sexually, greed, pride, uh, the, you, you're, I'm not, if, I, if that's where I am, I am not wearing the armor of light. And so when they then throw shots at you, they land because you don't have any protection. Right. And so our protection here, which it has been, like for the last two years, right, was, uh, hey, you want us to shut down? Like, you, you want to tell which slave families don't get to go free this week? Uh, do you want to tell which kids in Haiti don't get to eat this week because we didn't meet? It's the armor of light. Like, it literally, First Peter 2.15, silences your good works will silence the talk of foolish men. And for churches here or all over the country, if you don't have as much emphasis on that, not social justice, but Jesus and love, as you do on your worship or your youth or your kids, uh, you, have, you have room to put some armor on. Like you have room to armor up on some light by focusing on what Jesus called us to focus on to begin with, which is loving your neighbors as yourself, doing no harm against them, feeding them when they're hungry, loving them, right, clothing them. Uh, the, the amount of armor that that gives you is not accidental and it's actually biblical. Yeah, when I think of armor of light too, I think of uh, us as a church uh, walking around with these big spotlights, just turning on these lights uh, so that darkness flees, so that things are revealed. You know, when I'm trying to walk around my house at night with the lights off, uh, you know, I stub my toe and, you know, fall over the dog or whatever it is. There's things happening that I can't see, but when you turn on the light, things are revealed. Right. Um, truth, you start to see the truth, you're making sense of what's happening. And so the armor of light can be just that, that we are shining a light upon things that we need to know about um, and uh, revealing the truth to others so they can see. Right. And by, you know, who doesn't want to see hungry children fed? Who doesn't? Like, it's literally like we know at the core of who we are. Uh, that that's right and it's good and shining light on you know that if that's the light we're shining onto it that is um that's the kindness of god leading us to repentance yes. not the shame of of man leading us to make any changes i would say that n- 9 out of 10 maybe more than that d- were not aware of what was happening in asia with these these slaves these brick kilns before right. the pandemic yeah, And when that happened and we were looking for ways to be a light to the world, to mm-hmm. be Jesus in the world, and we came across this opportunity to help, mm-hmm. um, we were able to shine a light on it. Yeah. And millions of dollars have come in towards this. It's bonkers, At this man. point. Yeah, yeah. Over a couple of years. Yeah. That's, that's crazy. Yeah. Because the light was turned on. 
and we were able to see a need in the proof of our gifts was love and we're able to help in a very meaningful, powerful way of, of offering freedom. Yeah. And the vast majority of people, at least in my f- friend circles, didn't know uh, that shutting down the, the global economy was going to kill millions of children. Um, and the irony being uh, in this push to vaccinate the world millions of children were not vaccinated for polio or for smallpox or malaria or and so covid which re- represents exactly almost at best zero percent threat to children is now causing illness and death of other things because the world's attention was only focused on that and then destroying the economy of the world you know, when you say um and this is this was like again accepted wisdom before but for every percent that unemployment goes up in the United States, 30,000 people die. Like that's a, yeah, I remember that. a number that yeah. they, they were throwing uh, at Bush back in 2008 because, you know, it was like uh, because him and the economy collapsed and this was a way to throw it at him. And I'm like, but you remember that? Like when you guys were driving a, up a unemployment here? Th- globally, that number is exponentially larger. And so by reopening churches... And by the way, if churches will throw on the armor of light, and I don't actually, I don't think any pastors probably <laughs> listen to this podcast, but if you do, please, please make this central to your ministry. Um, it's, it's, it is what Jesus called us to do. It is what he is, is the body of Christ. I mean, Matthew, if we're in the end times and the end of days, Matthew 24 and 25, that's where the, did you feed the least of these brothers of mine was at, which is in the context of a world plagued by disasters and wars and rumors of wars. People are going to be in prison. They're going to be in slavery. They're going to be hungry and naked. And our churches, um, I wish every church planning organization in America led with this idea um, that when you're staffing out a church, when you're building out the vision and the mission of your church, right next to worship pastor, right next to kid ministry, right next to, you know, that you need a sound system and a trailer, is a is a place where your church is going to make your community and the world alleviate some suffering and throwing on the armor of light. Yes. And and then I might add, talk about it. Yeah. Um, remember Josh uh, Howerton? Mm-hmm. Uh, he was at the bridge for of years. Yes. Uh, America's best looking pastor. <laughs> um, he posted a Twitter thread back on February twenty third. Uh, and he was talking about how in America right now, it's become really suave and cool to hate on the church um, because church is misogynistic and whatever. And then he literally, it was, it was brilliant. This, this thread, he unfolds how actually exact opposite that is of evangelical Christians. One of the things he says is that culture says that evangelicals aren't really pro-life, they're just pro-birth. They don't care about babies after they're born. But the actual data shows that conservative Christians adopt more than any other population segment, more than doubling the norm. Uh, He he talks about uh, emotional health. He talks about like his uh, culture. Evangelicals don't care about the poor. They just care about political power. The data shows that church-going Christians are exponentially more generous to the poor with both time and money than the rest of the population. Um, and, and by the way, we see that every election cycle when presidential candidates have to uh, release their finances. Uh, 
um, right. our own president currently, uh, when he was uh, in Senate or whatever, this was 10 years ago, maybe it was, I don't remember the years, his quote unquote charitable giving for that year was $1,800. Oh no. Um, and by the way, Obama's was actually lower than that, President Obama, but after he was exposed, he started giving away like a lot more money. <laughs> like helped him i don't know uh maybe it wasn't that maybe he just realized i'm not very very generous but if you think that government is the answer and so i'm just paying my taxes it means i've already given uh why would you be generous right but american christians it's not the truth is is that they don't just care about uh the money in their coffers there is a it's an exponential growth with that so and our church has clearly proven that to be true uh with it that that's the you know that's part of our armor of of light and uh, you know, look, understand the present time um, that we're in. He told that that, that started uh, with Paul in Romans 13, and it lasts till today. Let's understand this time that we're in, and uh, live and act accordingly, as if we're living in the daylight, because people are watching us. Uh, and then tell those stories of, of what God is doing in your churches. Yeah. So, chapter 13, obviously, it's a deep dive into. Um, all of these specific things as it pertains to to government. Chapter 14 gets even maybe a little spicier, uh, and you're going to tackle that this weekend. Well, I am. <laughs> it, it zooms in just a little bit more. It does because, so it's like Romans 12 uh, is like how do you function as a Christian, you know, your gifts and all that, and then 13 is like how do you function in society. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then 14 is like how do you function with each other in, in the body of Christ with, with Christians, and he opens up with like don't, quarrel over disputable matters and the idea is hey there's a whole big world out there that there's like an enemy at the gate so like what we just talked about of uh gender identity and the government literally uh saying that they could take your child away from you um because it's abuse, like that, that's a male-female conversation, and yet churches are still splitting over whether a woman should teach the Bible on Sunday. And is that, is that, a, is that a hardcore hill you're willing to die on? Or is there a real enemy at the gate? And, and, and I don't mean to dismiss, because if, we're, if the disputable matter, and this is one of the things we're going to talk about, the dispute is settled in the Word of God. Right, not quarreled in the world, but dispute. It's settled in the Word of God, and settled doesn't necessarily mean that I'm going to agree and you're going to agree. It's why, you know, thousands of years of human history, you know, two thousand years, have shown that there are Armenians and there are Calvinists, and both of them think they're right, uh, and both of them use what I call the yeah but theology, <laughs> which is is that uh, Greek? <laughs> it's, it's it's the original Greek, the yeah buts. Hebrew. I got a case of the yeah buts. And the yeah buts is you you say your scripture about, you know, uh, God chose you before that, whatever. And then I'll say, well, yeah, yeah, but, and then choose you this day who you will serve. And then you'll say, yeah, but. Keeps going. So either the Bible contradicts itself or there's something bigger going on in the paradox of, of, of and, and that's the answer. There is a paradox in, in what God does. And, and uh, when it comes to a, a, a woman teaching the Bible, you know, they, they're, they're going to, uh, this is a disputable matter. There are people who are very brilliant who say that a woman shouldn't teach, and there are people who are very brilliant who say uh, that this was a cultural thing. But both of them are going back to the Word and, and settling the dispute. They're not saying, well, that we can't trust the Word of God anymore, so we now know better than the Word, which is what the entirety of, of progressive Christianity rests on the idea that, well, we know more than Paul knew, so that's the best he knew at the time. 
and that is not how you settle a disputable matter, saying that the Word of God is flawed. Uh, it's settling it, saying, okay, well, look, uh, there are some things that are non-negotiable, um, and Jesus made those pretty clear. And that's when we say, like, what's the hill you're going to die on? Like, we, well, let's choose the one that Jesus died on, you know, on, on, on the gospel, on, on Calvary. And if I'm wrong that a woman uh, shouldn't have been allowed to teach, um, does that keep me out of heaven? Does it keep us, or does it just keep us arguing with each other? Because uh, I'm going to say, well, why is your wife wearing jewelry and a dress? Because that's in the same breath as the other part of the sentence. Or did Paul mean something more? And they're going to say, well, he said it's about Adam and Eve. And you know, again, we're back to the yeah buts. Could we settle and say, well, let's let God figure that out? Over your church history, have you been part of a, a church that uh, split over a disputable matter? It kind of makes you long for those days. Of, like <laughs> we, we split over the pew colors. Uh, the carpet. So easy. <laughs> You like know, the, traditional music versus contemporary music and yeah. how divisive that was to, to bring a guitar on stage or uh, should you have coffee bar and how disrespectful that is to have coffee in the church. Uh-huh. I mean, these were committees that were formed to have these discussions. <laughs> uh, you know, style of dress, what you should and shouldn't wear. Um, I mean, I could go on for days with that kind of stuff that I've encountered well, over the years. And it's it's not an accident that Paul ends chapter 13, which, again, there were no chapters and verses in Scripture, right? Sure. He, doesn't, he doesn't end that thought of armor of light and go right into quarreling over disputable matters uh, because that's the kind of darkness that just—number one, it drives people away from Jesus. It drives them away from the church and the gospel. Um, but at the very, the very like best-case scenario— it's it's enemy disinformation to get the people arguing yes. country arguing against you you know don't think that putin or any of these guys made this stuff up this was invented in the pits of hell man yes. with satan disinformation where you get started in the garden get your enemy arguing amongst themselves adam and eve splitting up with each other started there man. right over did he really say did he you know, uh and so here we are 2000 years later and churches are still splitting because I, when I get an email like that, on the one hand, I'm like, okay, I really, really respect that they want, that they are holding true to the scriptures. I, I truly believe that. And on the other hand, I'm thinking, golly, there's a real enemy at the door. Do we really want to have this argument here? Um, uh, is this really where you, is this the hill you want to die on? And we have, you know, people that um, have, and, and might I say, if you've, if you've left conduit because of like, I had a woman teach on a Sunday. That's not a, a scale of one to 10. That's like a two. It's a one problem. You know, we have real 10 problems out there. Yeah. And I guess that's the point, right? That's what we're, that's what we're bringing up. That's the light that we're showing is that there are 10 problems. There are level 10 uh-huh. uh, problems in the world, in our culture and the doorstep of our, our children and our families and our homes that we should be addressing. And that we are addressing. And not only are they happening here, but there's those across the world and across the globe that uh, that 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 can't that need help. Yeah. That maybe can't do it on their own. Yeah. Um, and so we're we're bringing that you know DefCon level, we're raising it a little bit and saying there are actual kingdom-based issues to tackle for the sake of the kingdom. Mm-hmm. And these things that we argue and fuss about here back home um, really just don't matter in the big picture yeah. of the kingdom. Yeah. When it comes down to the matters that are disputable as far as scripture goes, uh, 
you know, back in when this was written, there wasn't like a First Baptist Rome and a Second Baptist Rome, and now we got the Presbyterian Church of Rome or the First Baptist. Like, if they got mad, they couldn't just go down the street. Um, And there's something healthy about, you know, having to work through those differences without causing division. Um, And at the same time, realizing that, uh, hey, you know what? I'm an imperfect vessel, but but as long as we're going back to God's word, um, I I guess that to me is the biggest deal, which is as long as we're as long as we're agreeing that Scripture is the authority, that Jesus is the way, the truth and the life, like we start from that we might come to some conclusions on eschatology that are different than each other. And you know what? If you feel more comfortable fellowshipping in a different church than that, you know, for sure do that. But don't like, take like, take my toys and go home. Sure. Um, st- or, or worse, like start like divisive, you know, because in a church our size, that's happening. Like there's a, you know, oh, you believe in this? Oh, oh man, that's demonic. That's, um, I don't know, maybe it is. Um but there's uh, something that uh, the saying that Kyle Froman used, if you, you know, maybe what they're doing is wrong. Maybe what they do does misunderstand uh, scripture. Uh, but if they knew what you knew, they would do what you do was the Kyle Froman phrase. So instead of just assuming that because somebody quoted a book that you didn't agree with or an author that you think is nuts, instead of assuming that they're all in with whatever weird ideology, you know, just think, uh, give them some peace in that and engage in a conversation, not a quarrel. Yeah. Benefit of the doubt. Yeah. If they knew what you knew, they would do what you do. So we spend a lot of time trying to get people to do what we do without them knowing what we know. Um, and that's literally, uh, I've, I've lived that out myself. Um, I used to, when I'd go to Haiti or whatever, I'd come back and I'd be so mad because people really want to complain about this problem and because for them that's a big problem and uh but they didn't know what i i knew right. and, and so that that kind of language has really helped guide me and i think it'll help guide our churches to more unity in the way that paul's talking about in romans 14. it's part of the armor of light turn on the light well this has been really good and um it's it's deep um deep conversations this is a deep passage of scripture chapters 13 12, 13, and 14 are really the meaty part of Romans, and we're, we're, we're getting close to wrapping this thing up. Can you believe it? Um, we got just a few more weeks, and we're going to wrap up Romans, Romans. But what is cool is the fact that this, uh, the, this particular passage, these particular chapters, this particular book is, seems like for such a time as this for us yeah. in the world and how uh, applicable learning these scriptures verse by verse can help guide us and direct us today yeah the living word yeah and so this next week uh, obviously you're going to teach on romans chapter 14 if you have the opportunity to join us do so uh, whether in person or online our service times are listed obviously on our website you can find anything that you could possibly want to know about conduit by finding us on our on our website on our youtube channel uh, any of our socials as well instagram we can find us there we we do a lot of updates there also um, we're just thankful and grateful that you choose to spend time with us each and every week here on this podcast